listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking, and I am your host, Philip Anthony. I'm so glad you're joining us today for our first show of 2023, and I'm hoping you all had a fantabulous new year. My special guest today is Keith Johnson, the principal singer and songwriter for the popular Minneapolis band, The Knowles, that's K-N-O-L-L-S, formerly Keith Johnson and The Grassy Knowles. Their release, My Endless Parade, has received extensive praise from the likes of Buddy Miles and Gary Raychek, manager of the iconic 60s group Strawberry Alarm Clock, who most of you know had a number one hit song with Incense and Peppermints, as well as praise from the Minnesota Association of Songwriters President W. Hamilton, who provided a particularly favorable review of Keith's vocal ability as unique and engaging. The song also has been embraced by college and independent radio stations throughout the country, notably charting at number two on KURA, just outside of Denver, Colorado. The rich textured sound of the Knowles is primarily driven by the acoustic guitar and the classic Wurlitzer. An adept musician, Johnson alternates among lead vocals, acoustic guitar, and even takes a seat behind the drums. The, lo- the Knowles sound is a modern-day lament, at once pure of intention and disarmingly cynical, wrestling uneasily with spare sardonic wit and featuring lyricist Rick Raver. Whew, that was a, that was a, yeah. good, that was a nice I, one. Welcome, Mr. Johnson, to the jo- Downright Upright Show. May I call you Keith? You may, you may, and I just want to point out that I like the word fantabulous. Oh well, I, yeah, that's that's something I every my listeners know. It's a yeah. combination of fantastic and fantab and and, fa- and fabulous. Yes, yes, fabulous. Yeah, there yes. you go. So before we talk about your multifaceted career, and, and I am fascinated by it, I, I must say. I would like to ask you briefly about your beginnings. So, like, where you were born, raised, went to school, all that fun stuff. Iowa native, right in the middle. Um, grew up at a farm. Uh, didn't want to be a farmer. Certainly respect. <laughs> I respect um, the lifestyle and the culture and the, you know, the worth work ethic. All of those things. Did you farm I, yourself as well? Well, I was out there driving tractors and really, yeah, yeah. Um, Look at you, wow. However, uh, there were <laughs> instruments. Mom was a music teacher, so there were instruments in the house. Okay. So you know, there was a lot of downtime, except we had hogs and horses to tend to. There was a lot of downtime during the winter, in particular during the winter. So fortunately, there were, you know. Particularly this time of year, it gets lonely out there in the middle of Iowa. Right, right. Um, Because it's not exactly the tropics there either, you know. Right, right. (laughs) It's in, you know, as a you know preteen, when there's a guitar in the house, um, mom had already made the attempt of uh, sending me and my twin brother. I have an identical twin brother, by the way. Sent us to get piano lessons when we were seven, and I think we were done by the time we were eight. Is he? Is your brother? Excuse me, musically inclined as well? Oh yeah, he's a semi-pro musician as well. He's a way slicker guitar player than I am. (laughs) Okay. So, um, um, so 
there fortunately there were instruments in the house one of which was a guitar and then there was a day when mom just showed up with a drum set really i looked out we had a big bay window in the dining room and i looked out and she was unloading a drum set oh wow from the trunk of the car and i she had no i had no inkling and I thought, what is this? What is what is she doing? I don't know what I don't understand. Most things I understand. Yeah, Here that she is... comes with a drum set, and we it was set up in the living room. Uh-huh. For you know, yeah. So I learned how to play the drums in the living room. Wow. Or there is rather it's sort of a wing of the living room. I'm making it sound like it's some big, huge, giant mansion or something. Mm-hmm. This was a classic farmhouse in the middle of Iowa. But she had, you know, where the couch and the TV and everything are. We had a big old console TV. It was the 70s. Um, okay. The, er, the early 70s. I'm dating myself. <laughs> okay. um, but then just off the living room, there's a piano. And just next to that was a console stereo. The one with the, you know, you remember the console stereo. The, the old stereo. furniture ones. The one, yeah, it looked like a piece of furniture. Yeah, you know, opened on the top kind of thing. My yeah. drums were set up right in front of the console stereo and next to the piano. Mm-hmm. So away I went. And I remember um, friends of hers. What There was a somebody, a colleague. My Again, my mom was a music teacher. And there was a colleague that was at the house. And asked me if I could play Wipeout. <laughs> and I, of course, was just, that was sort of, I sort of snobbishly looked at her like, and she said, she came back at me and said, oh, is that, are you above that <laughs> or something? <laughs> but because that wasn't for me, that wasn't cool at the time, even though it is now. Right, right. All right. So I digress. Um, years later, I joined a rock band and started performing when I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. Got paid to go out and play proms throughout the state of Iowa. Cool. They let all the other members of that band were Iowa State students. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had no uh, academic identity at that point in my life. I wasn't right. really sure of myself, what I was going to do. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I had no idea. And which is they, common. Yeah. Which is common. Mm-hmm. I think more common than not, in fact. Right. I always think it's uh, interesting when some somebody's just there, 16, 17, 18, they've got it all mapped out. They know where they're going to school. They know what they're going to do. I admire it, but right. I also think it's perhaps it's more common now. But when you're in the middle of Iowa on a farm, when the generation before you, it was if you're – I used to hear my grandpa say, if your dad was a farmer, you were a farmer. Right. And yeah. so that's just how – that was just how it – Right. I wanted to ask you something before we go to the next question. What fascinated me is your mom brought the drums to you mm-hmm. without you asking, Mom, can I play the drums? Because that's an instrument, I think, if I'm not mistaken, parents dread because it's noisy and it yeah. it disrupts the household. And Because um, I had a friend, actually, this is why this is conjuring this up in my brain, um, he wanted the drums, he wanted drums, he wanted drums, and his father bought him drums, and the mother was, like, so upset. And he was just banging those drums all day, and she was going insane, basically. It, it is curious, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? How do did, how did they put up with that? I think it largely was di- driven by the fact that 
you know, I think I was at the time 11 years old. And all the more reason I had no (laughs) real sense of identity at that point in my life, except I loved football Uh and I loved music. And she saw the disappointment too in me when there were band tryouts, concert band tryouts. Uh, and this, you know, from that spawned, you know, a position in the pep band or the marching band. And, right, right. But usually the foundation was the, the concert band. And she saw the disappointment when it was time for tryouts and everybody lined up to play drums. And they had too many drummers. And by that time... Uh, by the time I expressed interest in the drums, they well, we've already got eight people who want to be, you know, right. and you know, want to perform in the drum section. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed, and then the teacher came to me later and said, "Okay, uh, I think we can make room for you." Um, perhaps the teacher sensed disappointment. Uh, well, don't mean to toot my horn, but I eventually ended up being the first chair. So, which is, you know, in the hierarchy of concert bands, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I got to tell you, too, this was partially driven by, and not, you know, they, there was a drum set. The school suddenly bought a drum set. And I remember what, walking into the band room, and there's a drum set. This is unbelievable. I can't believe it. What am I seeing? And there was a guy that I wasn't really very fond of in my class. He's kind of a bully, uh, smart Alec style, you know, brand of bully. I'm so familiar with that. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. We all. I think we. As all. a gay man growing up in New York and macho land of of of, of the seventies, you know, I, yeah. I really encountered many people like yeah. that. Yes. Well, <laughs> and you can imagine yourself in Iowa, where everybody was either a farmer, a gearhead, uh-huh. or a jock. Uh, primarily, and right. you know, might add your, you know, occasional, you know, real country guy that was could live literally live live off the land, right? Hunting and trapping and all that stuff. Hunter gatherer, hunter gatherer, yeah. <laughs> um, and none of those were my bag. None of them. I, I, I was not true blue farm kid, even though I did farm work. Uh-huh. Um, I wasn't like I was track and field. But right. that didn't, uh, that almost didn't Fizzled count. Down. That yeah. didn't count on the scale of popularity in a high school. Yeah. Well, um, you, you you have the same, this is this is fascinating to me that you're saying this because I, like, a, you know, full disclosure, I don't know nothing about you. And what you're saying reminds me of my husband because he grew up on a farm in population 10, maybe, and up in uh, northern Minnesota. Uh, didn't fit in, like, he wasn't the jock type, you know, and all that. D- didn't want to farm, like, you know, for the rest of his life. But he took up piano and organ, and he loved it. And, it, yeah. and it's a creative side of, of of a person. And it's kind of weird because, you know, grow, growing up on a farm, you would think that, mu- you know, music would be part of that yeah. culture. Is that what I'm you follow what I'm saying? Like, I... I'm uh, eternally grateful that that, that it's really kind of what saved me. Yeah. It really Music is beautiful. I love music. I grew up myself with music and sang and, you know, I I recorded a few demos myself, you know, and never made it. It I thought it was kind of a 
cutthroat kind of, I was, I think I said this on one of my prior shows that um, the, um, one of my producers said, Philip, you got to butch it up a little. You're a little, you know, because that was very, <laughs> I wasn't the most masculine little, little guy, teenager. And, uh, and I couldn't. And, and that's, see, today it wouldn't make a difference if I was a singer and I wasn't, you know, the, the mold, fit into the mold, you know. But um, back then it was, you know, you had to look this way, you had to act this way. You, know, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was a very yeah. different, yeah. Anyway, so um, can I, do you mind if I just yeah? Just, the, there's there's uh, I didn't quite I kind of interrupted myself. <laughs> That's fine. The uh, the when I walked in to see this drum set, there was I was just like, oh, I have to, I've got to learn how to play this thing. It wasn't long after that. I think that my next visit to the band room was this guy, who oh yeah, that's right. You were talking about the bully, this, yeah, you know, smart mm -hmm. Alec bully. He, he wasn't really a bully. I think he was more of a sm smart aleck who sort of came across as a bully. Yeah, sure. Um, probably a big softy. It's guys like that probably just, they probably cry themselves to sleep. <laughs> or just uh, holding, a, <laughs> holding a teddy bear or something. Yes. Uh, so uh, I just, there, this, there, I think there was a little bit of a co competitive nature when I saw that he was playing and he seemed to have an inclination for it, I knew, I knew I certainly had an inclination for it and I stuck with it. You know, I stuck with it. I, to this day, I still go out and play on occasion. So, um, yeah, music really has, has done a world of good to my, I mean, when I joined that rock band in my senior year in high school, I suddenly had an identity. I suddenly knew who I was. Yeah, yeah. Confidence went, went up. So, especially when you excel at, at at it, whether you're it's the drums, singing, whatever instrument, because then you you feel like, oh, I've done it. You know, I, and I now I am something. I made something of myself, or I'm proud of myself. I think that's even me. You know, like I I was like the kid that nobody wanted to hang out with. I was the nerd. I was the you know, and when I realized that I, I had a talent, I could sing and move well, dance, you know, it was it was empowering in a way. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess this is piggybacking on that. Um, when did you develop your love of music and your love of singing and playing the drums? Was it, uh, was it that moment that your mom came in there with the drums? And where did the singing come from? Like, how did you develop that talent? I, I had older brothers. And I, I recall a time when my oldest brother came home with with a Beatles album. He had a couple of them. I think he had the second album, the Beatles' second album. And I think one of well, the... Well, that was kind of, yeah, mid-60s. Yeah, probably. it was. It had it, been released. It had already been out for several years. Mm -hmm. And then I think he came home with one of the compilation albums. So all their hits. And I just remember immediately connecting to the melodies right away oh, and too. singing along and could could keep up with the melodic structure without even knowing the melodic structure because it was so infectious. Yeah. Not that it was so much predictable. It's just it, you know, by that, you know, as soon as it was song, let's take eight days a week. As soon as it came around to that second uh, the the chorus represented itself just for the second time. I was already just singing along. Mm -hmm. So, did you um, relate to Ringo 
Oh, uh, because you played the drums? <laughs> that... No, no, more... Uh, more Paul or, or John, John? John, Paul, and George. Probably more because oh, okay. the vocals, the yeah. vocal layering and... Right, right, right. Um, and the screams and all that. That was right. really what yes. right, I really ultimately... <clears throat> I, I think if you... I, I love... Well, I tell you, um, the drums was not the first instrument I be, had begun to learn. The first instrument I had begun to learn was the piano. It just didn't stuck, stick with it. I think if somebody had just taught me how to play Let It Be, I'd be playing i would have just continued i would have been on a continuum i would have kept playing great song but instead Absolutely. or an elton john song or something but instead i was you know it was all just very uh mechanical and i was just doing exercises that weren't necessarily structured around a song right, right, it was right. just to get my fingers to work which makes sense which is necessary but i just it's for me it's all about the structure of a song did you excel Simple. at the piano at all or you just gave it up completely and went to the drums no i came back to the piano i do i probably spend more time on the piano than i spend on oh. any other instrument because that's a good instrument um, i'm sure i'm not i'm speaking to the choir you know what i'm going to say it's the instrument most people use to write a song right to write the melody because it's easier with a piano than any other instrument that i sure. can think of sure right can I, do you mind if I send you a song that I, and on which I played all the instruments? It's, it's just piano. I play drums. I sing. Uh, I think I played the, yeah, I, I, I tracked the bass really? guitar and then congitas. Can I send you that? Oh, and then maybe the listeners, oh, yeah. the listeners can just check out with like, who is this guy? And they can have a little sample. Absolutely. Of what it, yeah, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to do. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Um, so now I want to talk about the Knowles, and I'm going okay. to t I'm tell the listeners it's K N O L L S. Correct. Um, when and how did you form the group? Uh, where, uh, like, tell us the you know the whole history and how it began. Well, I got to be honest. It's really not so much a group. It's me and a lyricist. Uh -huh. He writes somewhere between 70, 75, perhaps even 80% of the lyrics. Uh -huh. Is that Rick Raver, That's the Rick, gentleman Rick I Raver. mentioned before? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He also calls himself Rick Funkmaster Double R. He's just trying to be funny. He's a very <laughs> off-colored gentleman. Um, he, uh, so, uh, so it's really he and I write songs. And since a kid, since I was a kid, I would create melodic structures, and I would have a theme and I'd have maybe part of a verse, but for whatever reason, I'd, I'd roadblock. I have written songs lyrically and musically start to finish, but I really like his poetry, and I edit a lot of it, and I, I might add the theme, and then he builds uh, a melodic, or excuse me, a lyrical structure around the theme, or vice versa, or I might take one of his poems and change it around, add a couple lines, take one verse that I think is the strongest and I'll put it at the top. Um, so uh, we have a sort of a Bernie Toppin, Elton John uh, songwriting relationship. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a nice pair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the heterosexual version of <laughs> Bernie Toppin and right. Elton John. Um, that song that I mentioned before um, that um, went to number two, 
on the charts. Did you write that, or you, or did Ravers write that? Uh, Ravers, if you're talking me. about the song "My Endless Parade," mm-hmm. which is the title track um, of the album, which is called "My Endless Parade." Um, that was a collab. I wrote some of the lyrics for that. I came up with the theme of the song. He came, came up with the title. Musically, that's, that's I wrote all the music. Um, but to your question, how did the group form? Um, I think I started, I think my first performance uh believe my first performance as Keith Johnson and the Grassy Knolls was just a collection of willing musicians who provided an interpretation to the music. Um, it How did you long... corral all those people to, to be in the group? Did you already know them and just ask them to join? Or You know, the music community is small. And so somebody knows somebody mm-hmm. who tells you about somebody and then the word spreads. Yeah, um, we're going back a little ways, but I, I do remember a gentleman by the name of Greg McFarland from Ipso Facto really embraced the music and he did, there were several years that he was playing drums for me. I was out front, but it's really, it's been, it's sort of a revolving door, just a collection of musicians that come in right now. I'm using uh, I'm working with a guy named Brian Halverson from who was with the Honey Dogs. A lot of people might remember the Honey Dogs. I've got a uh, a young gentleman uh, by the name of Bridger Fruth. He's with a band called Kiss the Tiger. He comes in and plays on occasion. I've got a pedal steel guy named Jeff Waldeland. He's played with like Trailer Trash and bands like that. <laughs> I've, now I've fallen in love with um, the pedal steel which is something I didn't imagine myself. So it's now it's the, the music changes in texture. I've used the talk box. I've got a guy named David Dean who's coming to play guitar. Really, really, really skilled guitar player. And he would, I bought my own talk box to make sure that he could use it just to texture the talk box, uh, that music with that instrument. Um, so... Uh, it's just it, it evolves, it changes. It, it the text, it, it I, I, I retexture it. I I've, I probably have a little artistic attention deficit disorder, um, <laughs> but you know that's what artists find themselves doing a lot is just changing. You know. So as a follow up to that, um, that song that charted number two, which is called "An Amazing Parade," is that my right? endless? Oh, my, my endless, endless parade. parade. Sorry. Back in uh, Colorado, um, how did that station pick up that song? Did did you perform it around the area and then somebody just picked it up? Or did you go to the radio no, station? No, I had and- somebody do distribution on, or rather they, you know, there was somebody that we outsourced to that, that already has a relationship with a, um, a number of independent radio stations throughout the country. In the the record, that record did particularly well in the New York area and down in the Fort Lauderdale area, interestingly. That's really interesting, yeah. Yeah. What year was that song out again? 2004. Okay. But I've got a new release um, that I'm releasing singles. We've got a song called Diamond Betty Misfit Eddie that's coming out, and it's going to be Diamond Betty Misfit Eddie. Yep. Okay. We've got a song that called Maybe Someday that we've released. Um, another song. Uh, it's 
it's a gambling song. It's not a country gambling song. It's more of blues gospel wow. um, called Nothing Good, Nothing Good Gonna Come. Uh, it's it, the way I've been living, nothing good is going to come because, you know, he's living this gambling lifestyle. Right. Rick wrote the lyrics to that one. If you had to categorize your music, what genre would you say it is? Or is it a mixed genre? Like- it's crossover music much in the way that a lot of the music that we heard when we were kids. Uh, it's crossover music. It's yeah. It borrows from various... Country. Country, blues, gospel, you know. There's a little bit of a... There's a little spattering of jazz mm-hmm. in some of my stuff, Rhythm but it's blues. it's really it's 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 just kind of built on uh, a simple melody. Um, it's built around the melodic structure. I would call that in the best way that I could categorize it, categorize it from a genre perspective would be ethereal blues. Hmm. Yeah, because it's lyrical and it's a little, it's textured a little bit differently. Um, but it's, yeah, ethereal blues. I can't it's wait the, to hear it. That's the best I can give you. Yeah, sounds good. Um, through my legwork of your career, I was made aware you uh, also conducted interviews with many famous celebrities mm, yeah. and musicians, such as Catherine Crosby. Randy Bachman of BTO, who happens to be somebody I love. Uh, Buffy St. Marie, who wrote Until It's Time for You to Go, uh, amongst others. Um, Can you share with our listeners some interesting tidbits about one or two of those interviews? You know, like talk about what surprised you or what you learned from them. Um, You know, that's, uh, oh, that's, that's kind of loaded. Um, Uh oh! Is it? Are you going to have to spill some beans here? <laughs> no, no. It's loaded in the sense that you, I don't know that there were. I don't know that it was so much that I. Because you're always learning. You're always learning something that you didn't know about music history. I guess I would say that I'm a music history historian uh, at heart. Uh, I like to say, I, I like to call myself a music preservationist because these from, are stories from the rock area you're talking about, not going back even further than that, right? Or, or well, in the case everything. of Catherine Crosby, I'm you know reaching back a little further. I'm reaching back before well, yeah. I was around. Mm-hmm. Um, I always just thought of her as Bing Crosby's wife. <laughs> I didn't know anything much about her. Well, she did have a pretty notable movie career. Okay. She was a motion, she was a major motion picture star. She went by Catherine Grant. Um, she did uh, Anatomy of a Murder with Jimmy Stewart. Hmm. Um, who else was in that I didn't film? Know that. There was an all-star cast. And didn't he have a, a daughter that was famous too? Um, she did Wonder Woman. I remember that's what I remember about the Crosbys. Uh, Mary was uh, the who shot Jr. I think she shot Jr. I think. Oh, I didn't follow. could be. Yeah, I, didn't, I think we'd have right. to Google that. I you don't know, know. Yeah, you could be right. Uh, I just remember her from Wonder Woman, the daughter, and I can't remember her. Is it Mary Crosby? Maybe mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's who I thought when before the interview. You know, uh, all you know. Full disclosure, um, Keith and I were talking, and I thought he was talking about uh, Mary, 
<laughs> it turns out it's Catherine. Catherine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she, um, uh, what about BTO um, and Randy Bachman? What, what was that like? Um, well, let's, first of all, we should probably note that actually preceding BTO, there was the Guess Who, and I was a big Guess Who fan as a kid. Mm. So this was a big deal to me to be able to talk to him. Right. He was going to be. I didn't want to. I didn't want to age you that much because I loved Guess Who as well. You know, yeah. these eyes and uh, la- laughing. Didn't they do that too? Um, a lot of songs. Yeah. Uh, uh, no uh, time left for you, right? Yeah, no did? time. Yeah. No time is the name yeah. of the song. No uh, time. Yeah. Undone is another yes. one. Yes. Great song. That yeah. actually. American circles, Woman. Right? American Woman. Yep. Um, a song that they wrote just. As they were preparing for a show, well, they're Canadian, they just, so they that song was like a like, to diss American women, I guess, right? Is that what it was about? I think it represents America as a whole. Oh yeah, I don't think it it was about women per well, se. Well, no, no, I right, yeah. But however, that circles back to your initial question about was there anything that surprised you? I, I think having talked to Randy Bachman. Mm. about his experience meeting Les Paul. Oh, um, yes. He told a story about... He's told it in other interviews, but he gave me a little something that he didn't think he had told anybody else before. He said, here's something that you and should Mary know. And Mary Ford. Didn't he, wasn't he the... Excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt. Wasn't he famous for doubling vocals? He's the one that created that phenomena, you know, where you have... You sing... A person sings, and then they sing again, and... and Layer like their a, vocals like a call and response sort of a thing, uh, or 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 simultaneous. Um, unless I'm thinking of the wrong person, but I, th- I thought it was Les Paul and Mary Ford. I know that they worked together often, mm-hmm. um, but in fact, they were performing on this night. Now, Randy Bachman was outside the venue because they had told him, "Kid, you're not old enough to get in here." <laughs> he apparently was outside the venue when I. If I recall, it was a Cadillac that pulled up and, uh, you know, this gentleman says, hey, kid, you know, what, asked him a question about what he was doing. And he said, oh, they won't let me into the show. Come with us. Come with us. So here's Les Paul and Mary Ford inviting Rand, a young, I believe, 14, 15-year-old Randy Bachman into this that. venue mm-hmm. he got to be backstage and he could see through the whatever the the swinging doors the the little oval not oval but round glass um he could see through the window um the, the performance from behind the stage well who else was at that show in in the actual audience apparently Neil Young. Oh, no. Because they talked amazing. years later. I think this was back when... I would have passed out, personally. <laughs> those, are, those are big people you're yeah. talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. That was something he didn't think he had told anybody else. He said, well, here's something for you that I haven't told anybody else. And it was that Neil Young was in the audience on the other side of that, those swinging doors. Look at that. So, anyway, the, both from Winnipeg, Canada... Um, so anyway, there you have it. Some great Canadian performers that, you know, Canada's not given the credit, in my opinion. Uh, so many, I mean, like Gordon Lightfoot and Anne Murray. I mean, just, I can be here all day, but 
um, yeah, Randy Bachman was Canadian, and yeah. uh, and, uh, and he was the lead singer of uh, the Guess Who. Was it the Guess Who or Guess Who? I don't, they changed their name. I think it just Guess Who. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think you're right. And then uh, he went on to be with uh, BTO, Bachman, Bachman Turner Overdrive, and they had taken care of business, of course, and... Uh, yeah, 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 you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Which was the um, sounds like he was stuttering in that song. That's what made the song such a big yeah. hit. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. Um, as a follow up, you interviewed many other musical acts as well, other than those people that you had mentioned to me. Can you grab one out of the sky and uh, talk about that one? You know, John Waite was particularly engaging. He, it was really like talking to an old friend and this is somebody bear in mind this is somebody as a kid i idolized tell, can you tell the listeners who we just give them a little john wade had uh he was in the babies oh okay um 77 i think they had a top 20 with, isn't, it, isn't time? it time isn't it time yeah and then another top 20 top 15 right in there with um every time i think about you mm -hmm. think of you mm -hmm. every time i think of you um and then during his solar career, he had a number one hit with Missing You. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And I yeah. think that came out in 84, I believe it was. Um, Could be, yeah. So, and I've got some really, here's an interesting John Waite story for you. However, back to the um, original question. Mm -hmm. John Waite was just particularly, um, just particularly down to earth easy to talk to. I think he was probably, it sounded like he was just drinking tea, um, you know, hanging out near his balcony, perhaps. I don't know. I could see it. It seemed like I was there with him. So this was a virtual interview you were having? Yeah, over the phone. He was coming into town to do a show at the, uh, it was part of the Buck Hill concert series, which is a concert series that has just begun. Hmm. Uh, That's I here in Burnsville, you mean? Yeah, every summer, um, they I think they skipped a summer up for obvious reasons. Um, and I don't know that they're they're getting the the acts that are as big as this particular series because Lou Graham was there. Um, mm. The following night was John Waite. Um, there seems to me like the seems like uh, oh Don Felder was there too. So I've got a story about that what, as well. What, what group was he in, in again? I'm blanking. Oh, oh, yes. This was the <laughs> okay. originator of Hotel California. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, he, anyway, he, had, he, he was promoting that show, and he said, we started talking about beer towards the end of the interview. Because I'd shared, I'd said, yeah, my English ancestors actually were the first hops farmers in Wisconsin. Mm. Uh, Levi Coddington was the name of the... No, Jesse Coddington. His son was Levi Coddington. Jesse Coddington was uh, the first hops proprietor. And I think it was central Wisconsin near Baraboo, which isn't far from Madison. Um. So he was, he, he's, we suddenly were talking about beer and then he said, we'll come on back and, you know, knock on the door when you get there. Um, and 
you know, it sounded like he would be open to having a beer with me. Oh, wow. <laughs> now that might still happen. It didn't, unfortunately, it didn't happen. I think he was off and he went and grabbed some food with the agent who I knew and reached out to. Hey, do you, have you seen John? He asked me to come back and say hello to him. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't happen. But you know what happened the night before? I'm standing, we're in the hotel lobby after Lou Graham's performance. Lou Graham comes in. I, was, I pointed to the, to the rest of the guys. I was like, hey, there's Lou Graham. He comes in with his entourage. And do you remember the band Asia? Asia yeah. was his, or those those that remain. I can't from think that of their band. hit record off the top of my head, but I heat know. Heat of the Moment, I believe. Yeah. Heat of the Moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys, so Lou Graham comes in, goes directly to my friend Kenny, and they just start having a conversation. Um, and I think he pointed to me and he said, Oh, yeah, that guy kind of sings like you. And then he <laughs> suddenly I'm in a conversation, brief as it were. Um, I'm in a conversation with somebody else I idolized as a teenager, Lou Graham. Mm. One thing that John Wade had asked me to do. Um, uh, if I had happened to talk to Lou Graham, I had no expectations that I would be able to talk to him. Can you say hello to him for me? So I was able to say hello to Lou Graham from John Waite at the request of John Waite. It's not over yet, though. So Lou goes about his way. They go to their room. We're still down in the lobby. I walk up to the clerk. I say, hey, is there a pub around here? We're in Burnsville. That's not that far from me, but, you know, some parts of Burnsville probably felt like Mars to me. They're just completely unfamiliar. So I said, is there a pub around here? The the hotel bar had just closed. And then I look over and I see uh, the bass player in John Wade's band, who I knew because he's the one that arranged the the interview with John. Keep in mind that I had just interviewed John a few days ahead of this meeting. Mm-hmm. And then I looked to next standing next to Tim was John Waite and I said but before I acknowledged John I said, "Hey, Tim, you're Tim." Yeah, yeah, I'm Tim, guy from Meet Out East. And then I go and then I said, "Oh, John, John, bro, John, I'm the guy that had interviewed you. You remember I said I was a better looking version than <laughs> of uh, David Letterman? And he laughed and he said, yeah, I can see the, I can see a little bit of David Letterman. Um, uh, super gracious, down to earth guy. And I was able to tell him, hey, I said hello to Lou Graham for you. Now, that might seem benign to a lot of people, but just... To somebody like me who idolized both of those singers and to be able to just say, hey, John says hello, Lou. Oh, he, wow, what a great guy. And then, hey, John, I said hello. Oh, yeah, well, that's okay. Lou's a great guy. And they're, they're both, they both had number one hits that same year because mm-hmm. a foreigner had their first number one hit in 84. They'd had several hits. What was it cold as ice? No. Um, that wasn't them, was it? Uh, it was I Want to Know What Love Is. Oh, that was in the 80s, yeah. That was a n- number one hit, the same year, 84. Right, right. So, um, anyway, long story. Uh, to make a long story longer, uh, that was just a really, uh, that meant a lot to me. But you know, it's, it, it, 
while you were talking about this, you know, my career was a flight attendant, and I met a lot of celebrities. And you're right, a lot of them are like, you, you would think that they'd be like highfalutin and act a little, you know, distant. But, you know, like, um, no. I mean, they, they, some of them are really, you know, um, so friendly. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I could go on and on about some of them. They'd come into the galley sometimes and talk and act like they knew, knew you 25 years, you know. Um, Kiss an Angel, Good Morning. What was his name? Um, uh, this, uh, the country singer. Uh, Charlie Pride. Charlie Pride, yes. He wouldn't leave the galley. <laughs> just, I did the service and I was in the galley and he was just there talking about everybody and singing some of his songs. <laughs> I mean, he was, you know, he's just really, and, I, and, you know, God rest his soul, he passed away a few years back. But, um, yeah, a, a lot of them, you know, that you would think I should never, you know, approach them because they're famous they may give you you know mm -hmm. the snake eye or something you know yeah yeah but they're some of them really really super friendly can i tell you real briefly um somebody else that really jumped out um yeah uh betty levette Be oh, betty yeah. levette was um, what was that song oh she's had um uh, you know i'm just going to encourage yourself in the audience to just google her because she's got such an impressive resume mm -hmm. she's not a household name no i had no she had a hit yeah. mm -hmm. i hadn't heard of her but she's an icon in that and she's very um very revered as of she in fact um she sang at obama's uh inaugural she was one of the performers during um obama's inauguration okay and she sang uh, Change Gonna Come with uh, John Bon Jovi. Oh, wow. So, yeah, go I just encourage people to, to Google her. She, she actually got asked to come back to Motown um, in 1980 after she'd had a string of hits in, like, the 60s. But what jumps out about her is that she... Um, I'd seen her in other interviews be a pretty hard on the interviewer. Um, and it's largely because they didn't clearly hadn't done their homework. Well, you got to do that. And <laughs> I think she could tell that I had. And so we really had she a was great impressed. interview. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Um, also, uh, you dabbled in acting, I heard. And um, can you tell our listeners about composing, acting, and co-producing Shrubs? The Pruning of a Presidency, which is a very apropos title for this show, because it, we, half of our show is about politics. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about the title and, and about the show. And Okay, this is a, a great question, um, because I was... The Minnesota Association of Songwriters had put the word out that somebody was looking for somebody to write songs for a musical a political satire, uh, which was, I think, under a different name at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't recall the name, actually. Um, and so I interviewed for that position, and I got the job. And so I wrote, I think, 37 short little, you know, they're usually one or two verses. They were short little jabs mm -hmm. just to punctuate the narrative of the well, you know, a musical. Mm -hmm. um, but then, uh, and we were trying out people for the part of George Bush. 
And I would try to do development, character development, with the people that we had in mind. And the, the, producer, the head producer said, you know, you should just be George, w, George Bush. Because <laughs> uh, I would do the, the hands and the, you know, the, the, how you do the hands. Oh, boy. And so, I used to do Nixon. Oh, really? I'm not a crook. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, George. You know, we did we did the little sound bites of him <laughs> saying things like, "Is our children learning?" <laughs> how did he, he actually say, said that. Nu- how did he say nuclear? Right, for nuclear. Nu- nuclear. Nuclear. Nuclear, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, I so I was a singing uh, George, George Bush, Bush so with a guitar. You. Yeah. Mm-mm. So we so the 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 play as in its original form was a little too topical mm-hmm. um it wasn't zany enough it wasn't it wasn't it was really about it was a little bit too sanctimonious it was felt preachy and i thought are we doing political commentary yes that should be in there mm-hmm. or are we doing satire and so i brought in rick raver the lyricist and we came up, we added characters, we added scenes. So I ended up being, you know, co-producing this play. And I was George W. Bush and doing, oh writing songs. I wish I would have seen that. Are you, are you plan, would you ever plan on doing it again, the show? Or whatever oh, happened to the show? Oh, no, no, no. It was, it was just a, a fringe, and, nah, it was, it was just a, fringe. a print, fringe play. But it was, you know, it was a feather in my cap because I got the opportunity to be in front of an audience as a lead actor. Right. And composed all the music for that play. And how does, it was how, just a lot of fun. How does I mean, acting compare to singing? Did you Do you find them similar, different? Do you like them both? You know, they both require timing. Sure. You really kind of mm-hmm. have to be inside... You know, there's a balance between being inside your own head and also just letting yourself go. Absolutely. And just letting it flow. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one of the, st- the stage manager was like uh, very much about being right on track, being on time. Mm-hmm. And I did do a little bit of uh, improv. And you don't want you want to know something? No big surprise, actually is that sometimes those imp- improvisational moments mm-hmm. got the biggest laughs. Really? Those got the biggest laughs. Well, sometimes they bomb, though, because I think I did one once. <laughs> well, certainly they can, but, you know, you feel you know, you know, feel it. It's there. It's there. It feels natural. You've got the audience. And Correct, you're sort yeah. of playing off them. Yeah. They're feeding you, in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense. Yeah, and, and hearing that, that laugh really helps. Because it, it, you, you feel like, oh, I, I did good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's when it becomes sort of, that's really sort of cancels out. Uh, where am I going with this? <laughs> Somebody's, uh, somebody else's who's, you know. Yeah. They have I don't want to say, imp- it's not impositional. It is really a part of, you do need to stay on track. And there sure. is a structure but sometimes something just feels so right. Right. If you're doing, a, like, if you're doing a, a dissertation, basically, you can always improv, you know. But if you're talking to somebody and doing a dialogue, you could, sometimes that could throw the other person off. Sure. It kinda, I kind of did that in a play in high school. But yeah, it, it happens, you know. Yeah. But anyway, uh, now 
we have come to the part of the show I like to call the shift. Okay. It's with an F, shift. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> my, my listeners understand that joke. Where I shift the questioning away from um, your career and to your opinions on current affairs. Are you game? Sure. Okay. Let's. Sure. Now, uh, all of this is going to be topical, since I, I, you know, because as the shows progress, you know, things change and we hear new, more news. As of the taping of this show, we have had nine votes. Count them, <laughs> nine. And it, you know, I, I kind of like make a, make fun of this. You remember the count from Sesame Street? Nine, yeah. nine votes, uh, 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 you know. Yeah. It, it was nine votes for Speaker of the House, and we still don't have a speaker after nine uh, go-rounds. What do you think should happen now? Should Kevin McCarthy give up and give someone else a shot? Or keep trying and not let the MAGA wing of the party get their way? Because, you know, it's kind of like you know, a catch-22. You give them their way, and they're going to control the whole ball of wax. And if you don't then you just keep going on and on with this voting, you know, and nothing gets done. So what do you think? Oh, it's it's kind of hard to it, talk it, about. It, well, it, what I'm, I know what I'm worried about. And I'm worried about the, uh, McCarthy. McCarthy? McCarthy. That he'll give in to the MAGA wing and he is to give. doing that as we speak, though. But that's ultimately what I'm worried about. That he's going to give in to them, and they're going to get, they're going to have too much control. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I think is going to happen? Uh, I don't think Kevin McCarthy is going to give up. No, he's he's got he's so ambitious. He his whole dream was to be Speaker of the House. I mean, the, the, yeah. that's you know, yeah, no question about it. But I think. He feels that they'll get so sick and tired of voting and doing this that they'll cave. But these people are really adamant about not liking him. You know, they want new blood. They keep saying, we need new blood. We need new blood. And then he talks to them, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. And, you know, he keeps giving them concessions, and they're still not budging. Yeah, and right. that's frightening when you, how could you, you know, run a government when yeah. you're being strong-armed like that, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Anyway, but this is this is historic, though. Oh, this God, is the yeah. first time this has happened in a century. Over a hundred years, I think they said eight, in the eighteen hundreds. I'm not sure of the exact year, but yeah. But the guy that ran nine times last time ended up winning the ninth time. This is not happening. That this is worse. So yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Just never been through a political climate. Like this, yeah, me neither. In I my just, lifetime, I just think, in my opinion, anyway, I know it's about your opinion, but in my opinion, I think they should uh, work with the um, Democrats and try to get the you know a little um, uh, bipartisanship going and get a speaker that way. You know, maybe maybe get a very moderate Republican and have the Democrats say, okay, we'll take him over. You know, McCarthy or. What's the likelihood of that happening? Well, do you think? The, a lot of the pundits on TV are talking about that. Um, there's a guy that keeps throwing his name out, Fred Upton. He's a very moderate Republican. He's like the old school Republicans, you know, that aren't, you know, you know, cuckoo for cocoa puffs. But 
But I don't know. Well, I, it may happen. It may not. What's really perplexing to me is that there is still a wing of the party that's still hanging on to Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. No and question. And by Matt Gates saying his name Oh, my goodness. Did you hear that today? Yeah, as he, if that's still... It, 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 he hasn't gotten it yet. He uh-huh. hasn't gotten the memo that it did them a lot of harm in the midterm uh-huh. elections. Donald Trump was sort of like kryptonite during, you know, of the course. midterms. And they haven't learned that lesson yet. No. So mm-hmm. my hope is, is that the moderates in that party will prevail because I think the, their voices are starting to get louder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, but that's happening with the, with the, the MAGA wing, wing. Mm-hmm. their voices are getting louder, but but out of desperation, perhaps. Yeah, but I, my question to you would be, what's in the water in Matt Gates's district and Marjorie Taylor Greene's district? What what are they voting for? They they want to put a wrench in the works. They don't want things to get done. What's the thing? I mean, it's confusing to me. That's a great question. Um, because I don't, you know, I have a tendency, you know, when I hear people blame candidates for not getting elected or for or whatever, you know, values they hold or things that they support, uh, I, I think that lets off, lets the voting populace that got them there, got them in that position off the hook. I tend to blame voters as much or more than the people that end up holding those off. Oh, 100,000%. Uh, yes. They ha- I mean, they see what he's doing. I mean, they're not yeah. blind. Right. You know, and, and instead of saying, you know, we need somebody, to, we need to get things done. We need to have them work together because one party is never going to take total control of this country. You have to work to, across the aisle to get things done. And he's got no semblance of 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 uh you know sharing and and understanding the other side he just doesn't you know and that's scary to me i mean and he's yeah. just him it's him it's Mar- although marjorie taylor green believe it or not she's voting for mccarthy she's one of the she's voting for the you know traditional candidate which is strange because you would think she'd be off the, the deep end he, but. he he's pretty far right though right yes i yeah yeah so, well, so was the whole party now. That's the problem, you know. There are very few. Is the pendulum swinging back towards the middle, though? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I want. I would love to see the a normal Republican party that you wouldn't have to worry that they're going to, you know, we're going to have an insurrection or we're going to have uh, people denying elections. You know, well, and like that's that. and that we want to win elections because <laughs> because if you want to stay out here in Magaland – that's not going to get. That's not going to advance. Anything. Well, that Carrie Lake, that woman that was running in Arizona for governor, she still claims she won the election. She's got all these lawsuits. I mean, it's just bizarre. These yeah. people yeah. are putting out there, and I guess they feel that the their followers will follow them and believe it, and maybe send the money. I don't know. I don't know what the whole is thing is. The collective uh, voice of the MAGA wing. Uh, Definitely, no, no. Are they? Is it? Are they becoming uh, less prevalent? I think so. That's my opinion, though. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but hopefully, 
um, when the nominations come for president, Trump will not be the nominee. I mean, yeah. because that would just be really sad. It would hurt the country more than anything else. I mean, really. I mean, rem remember those four years, how divided this country was? We don't want to go back yeah. to that. We, yeah. We're recovering from that slowly now. So, you know. Um, well, uh, yeah, did you have something? I'm sorry. Well, uh, it, it may bear out in another question, but I actually have some thoughts about who will get the Republican nomination. Oh, that's that's one of my questions. Oh, that's yeah, that's come. I think okay. it's the last question, actually. Um, we're going to get through these really quick anyway. Uh, what are your thoughts about Buffalo Bill's safety, uh, DeMar Hamlin suffering a uh, cardiac arrest and collapsing after a tackle by an opponent? Should there be better protective equipment for football players or more stringent early detection of the player's medical health, or something else that could prevent harm or death to players in the future. You know, I I think they somebody somebody missed the ball here. You know, um, before a game, shouldn't they get a stress test or do something you know like that? Because it's a very very physical game, right? Yeah. So you're saying that is there something? Yeah, like that, what, what do you think could prevent this in the future? Because this is not good. I mean, and then also, you know, they they have helmets, but look at the concussion rate amongst uh, professional football players. Um, they grow up and they lose their mind earlier, and you know, almost like that Muhammad Ali syndrome, where you know he couldn't remember his name or he couldn't talk, or you know. So what, is there anything we could do about that? I mean, uh, other than obviously just do touch tackle. <laughs> but um, it's, it's not a good... Uh, well, uh, here's, what, here's what resonated to me when that occurred, when, that, when this unfortunate right. incident occurred. Right, that's what occurred, I'd like to ask you. Yeah. Is that, first of all, he had care, he's lucky to have had care with, you know, with such urgency and immediate, you know, so immediately. Yeah, they went right to CPR. Mm -hmm. um, he also had so much support around him. Sure. Um, so he's lucky in that sense. This is a 24-year-old gentleman. Yeah, I believe he's 24, yeah. Um, so he's got youth going for him. Um, I don't, you know, certainly I'm not a doctor, we do know it was cardiovascular. Do we know that? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Had cardiac arrest. Um, we know that the the he took a blow. Um, a tackle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think he did the tackling, didn't he? Was didn't he make the tackle? You got me. I'm not. A, I think somebody I plead innocence about this. I don't. I'm not a football fan, but I I heard after whoever tackled who, uh, he fell down. They gave him CPR. He came. He stood up again, and then he fell back again yep. after that. But uh, the update today was that he's doing much better. He's recovering, but still. I mean, I don't know if I'd make him go back on the field after that. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's quandary. I for think me. more is going to come out about this. Um, yeah, you know, I think th this is an evolving situation. Yeah, since yeah. I, now, I the high school that I went to. Bearing in mind, I was an enormous football fan as a kid. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't have a football team, and that kind of broke my heart a little bit. <laughs> but and the reason for that is because I think somewhere in the 20s, I think it was around 1929, our high school had done away, our school rather, Stratford Community School, Stratford, Iowa, 
population 746, we had done away with football because somebody, I think it either been fatally injury, injured or just, uh, oh, you the know, spine or something. Yeah. Something very serious. Right. And so, um, it's not a, in my opinion, you know, I, I, this is just, you know, Philip's opinion. It's not a safe sport. It's just not. And, and, um, a lot of parents don't want their ch- their children to get involved in it in the first place. They mm-hmm. get to like it because they know down the road it's not going to be a pretty picture for for them. Well, sure. you know, growing up with brain injuries and spinal injuries, and so you wouldn't you wouldn't have your kid play oh, football? No, absolutely not. Me yeah. personally, you know, in my opinion, no. There's other sports that are much more exciting um, and that aren't as dangerous, like baseball or tennis. Or, you know, things like that. But anyway, I digress. Believe it or not, this is our next question. This is uh, the year candidates will throw their hats in the ring for the nomination for president of the United States. This is, I think, the question you wanted to get at before. Sure. Who do you see as the leader of the pack and the Republican, uh, for the Republicans? And who do you think, uh, and do you think uh, President Biden will run again? Let's start uh, with so the Republicans. Part, but- but part A of your question um, mm-hmm. was about who will get the nomination, right, for, right. for the RNC. Um, I think that person is, drumroll. No, I know you told me, so I'm not surprised. Everybody I say this to, I'm going to preface this by saying, everybody I say this to is like, really, what? Yeah, I, okay. I said that too, yeah. uh, I'm not sure about that, and I'm not sure about it either. I could be dead wrong. I'm going to have egg on my face after this because I'm going to disagree with you, but I bet you you could be right. But I, but I could be right. I think it's going to be Mike Pence. Here's why. Yeah. Now, I know. I can hear the eyes rolling. <laughs> yeah, this, is a, that. this is a podcast, so you'll probably not hear their eyes rolling. Their well, eyes are rolling you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be – here's why I think – it's going to be Mike Pence. Do I? I don't have a crystal ball. Sure. And I could be dead wrong. But here's what I think it's probably going to be Mike Pence. A, mm-hmm. he, um, I think amid the, uh, on the assumption that Donald Trump doesn't, for whatever reason, drop out or he doesn't get prosecuted and jailed or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we can assume that's not going to happen. I hate to say that it's not going to happen because I'd like to say I think it will, but again, I could be wrong too. But that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, on the assumption that Donald Trump and uh, Ron DeSantis are running, I think those two are going to... Cancel Ron, each other out? You well, know? Ron is going to borrow from the Trump playbook of being insulting, and they're going to try to out-insult one another. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, a lot of sane Republicans, a lot of the country is kind of like, yeah, this is kind of old. This mm-hmm. is getting old. This whole, you know, pie-in-the-face stuff, it's kind of, it's it's old hat. So that will make Mike Pence seem really sane, because Mike, <laughs> Mike Pence is going to hold... He's not going to change. He's going to be the objective, um, uh, probably very poised and very. Uh, he won't. He won't play into. Right. Little, I, I see where you're going with this, but you know that'll it, make him stand out. I believe that'll he'll right. stand out for that, and they'll go, "Oh yeah, Mike." Right. That sounds really together. Now mm-hmm. I'm getting into the mind of a 
a, a, a Republican voter that maybe tips even further, not just well, he's right an evangelical Pence. You know, he's very, very religious. I mean, he's well, he's a real you know evangelical, not the faux type that Pence. He's uh, the that, real evangelical deal. Yes, that Trump is not. So and Trump is not. So. I think people are just kind of on to Trump at this point, even though right. there are some people are like, well, gosh, yeah, but he's I think a phony. He, yeah. He doesn't even know what, how to hold the Bible upright. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. it's a joke. So, so there's, there's number two. So number one, just to, to uh, kind of recap, number one is I think he'll just appear very sane yeah. and that'll give him credibility. That'll make him stand out. Number two is the evangelical base is still very, strong as Probably, a voting yeah. pop populace. Yeah, sure. They stick together. They yes, do. I agree. Um, and this might galvanize them that much more. Number three, um, I think all the attention that he got, he's gotten a lot of attention because of January 6th. He was a target on that day. Sure. His life was threatened on that day. Oh, yeah. That conversation is still happening because it is one of the most stands out as one of the most infamous days in our nation's history. It really does. So for so there's so he's he's a part of the national conversation. I think that keeps him Yeah, I agree with you. I, yeah. I mean I, I, I hear your, your your point of view. I don't agree that he will be the one because I think the Republicans party, the people, not the party, the the voters are very predictable and they they have their little um favorites all the time and I think it's gonna be DeSantis. But if it's not DeSantis, it could be a dark horse too. So I, I wouldn't throw that out of the mix either. But uh, and, and what about Biden? Do you think he'll run? Will it be? Yeah, him? I think so. I, I, I think so. I um, I think he likes the job. Um, this is what he's been. You know, I remember when he ran in '88. Mm. So he's now here. He is. Um, are we doing terribly as a country right now? No. There are some things that need... The border. We, yeah. We, some things do need to but change. But he addressed that yesterday. He's going to go there and he's he wants more money for um, border guards. He's trying to address that now because um, at the time he thought that maybe just sending... You know, Vice President Harris down to those countries and see if they could nip it in the bud. It's not working. You know, the, 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 there's such an ingrained um, autocracy down there. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think they can uh, work it that way. So I guess they have to do it the you know the old-fashioned way, just stop people from entering at any cost. So mm -hmm. uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, before we close the show today, sure. is there any political? I love that word, particular. Is there any particular political story that I haven't mentioned that you would like to address uh, before we uh, say sayonara today? <laughs> you look Politi Political story? <laughs> or or um, issue or something you, you, you just want to I bring. go to the Iowa caucus uh, every presidential cycle. Do you? Because it's, it's, it's a... Uh, it must be fun. It's a feeding frenzy. But they're not going to be the first. Uh, I, did you hear that? That the rumor. The Republicans that are going to keep them as the first. Oh, but I, think I see. The Democrats are going to migrate to South Carolina. Yeah, I didn't I hear that. Okay, maybe you're right. So, which means I'll spend time in both Iowa and South Carolina for the 
I don't, they, I don't know if they caucus. Well, if you go to so. Iowa, you got to take me. I would. I've never been to the Iowa caucuses. Well, so it's a feeding frenzy for. Of the national press, well, the international press. Oh, yeah. And you see all the candidates and you see all the pundits. And Corn news, dogs. New, or, or credible <laughs> newscasters. So I The food was, is supposed to be the big thing, yeah. I was there in 2016. Ted Cruz had won in Iowa that year, barely edging out. And Donald Trump, Trump said he cheated. Said, That's when I realized he yeah. was just a con man right yeah. there because even then he, che- he said... The election was fixed. Yep. And now, and then with Biden, the election was fixed. And now with this election, the election was it's fixed. fixed. Yep. Everything's fixed. Uh, yep. You know, it's all fixed. <laughs> it's all fixed. So, um, uh, the other candidates were all, um, you know, they were in the city of Des Moines. Um, Ted Cruz had, I think, something kind of on the edge of downtown. He had a hotel on the edge of downtown where he held his big rally. Trying to remember who the other candidates in 2016 even were. There was a big field. It was Hillary, Bernie. Um, well, but it was Republicans had the, oh Republicans had the um, wide field. Trump, on the other hand, oh, flew in them, yeah, yeah. to West Des Moines. I think he mm-hmm. had something way out on the outskirts, and he flew in in his helicopter, mm. where everybody else was pretty much right in the heart of downtown and probably staying at their hotels mm-hmm. and. So and that, he never shook a single hand in Iowa. He was always in the stage, you know, apart from the people, whereas the other candidates were both for me shaking the hands yeah. and eating corn yeah. dogs with them and doing all this stuff. But he did, I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he did that. Did I, Huckabee he, run in 2016? Because he was doing a show. Uh, I think I walked by a coffee shop and I looked in. Jeb and Bush ran. Uh, Carly Fiorina. There was a whole bunch of people. Um, there was like a, uh, Huge at least ten people. That's why he won because the, you know, that's what I'm afraid of this year. If there's still a big amount, um, uh, you know, amount of uh, candidates on that stage, he could dilute the vote. That could dilute the vote, and he could win again because he's got a base of support. So I don't even want to. Yeah, I want to think about that. Just, that. That's horrible. That's a nightmare. Anyway, yeah. um, so uh, unfortunately, Keith, we have come to the end of the show. Uh, thank you again for coming on the Downright Upright Show. I really appreciate it. And will you come again sometime and visit us? Certainly. And then when I come back, I'll tell you the story about um, uh, almost running head-on into Bill Clinton. Um, and then, oh, Donna Brazil, you know, having a yeah. glass of wine with, you know, the and, locals. And we could play some of that song and, to the people. Sure. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Um, so since we've come to the end of the show, we, we want – people to get um, uh, to follow you. So you have a, a website, newvictoriaproductions.com. There's no spaces, N-E-W-V-I-C-T-O-R-A uh, productions.com. And also the Knowles Music on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And again, thank you so much for spending time with us on the Downright Upright Show. And to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us today. And please stay tuned for more of the Downright Upright Show in the near future. This is Philip Anthony saying adios and ciao for now. Thank you again. Thank you.